verses 1 to 12. But as you do that, what I'm going to do this morning, what I want to do through this word is I want to particularly demolish some wrong thinking about God and build up some right thinking about who he is. Uh, and it's that question, you know, what, what, is God, what does God want from you? And is he a taking God? Is he a grasping God that just wants stuff from you? Uh, and what does it mean for you? And um, uh, at the end, I do want to give you the opportunity as well to think about what you're doing for the house of God and particularly for this church and in terms of your finances and ask you to consider what you're doing. And I want to say right at the beginning, if you're a visitor uh, with us, this is for us, certain bits of this for us will be this morning. It's our house. Uh, we don't expect you to have to commit to Sunbridge, but I hope you're inspired and challenged in equal measure about your commitment to God in general uh, and what you're walking with him. So Haggai 1, verse 1, and it just says this. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek. Oh, nearly got there. The high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild their Lord's house. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it, or a wallet for the men. Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called out for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labour of your hands. And then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. So I'm just going to stop there. First thing I just thought then is how do you say Haggai? Is it Haggai or Haggai? Haggai. Because I'm just going to do what I'm going to do but if that's the main thing I get wrong that's fine but I'm just going to go Haggai. Or maybe I'll do Haggai. We'll see. I'll change my mind so it's right for all of you. Anyway that's not important at all. Um, so the first thing I want to point out from this passage and the first bit of wrong thinking that might be in us that I want to kind of tackle and demolish is that God is a taker, not a giver. And I want you to know and think about the context of what's happened in this passage. You see, God has done an amazing miracle for the Israelites yet again. He's brought out a remnant that were captive in Babylon and turned the heart of, the, of King Darius toward them to allow them to come back and settle in Israel, led 
by Zerubbabel. So God has done this miracle to set them free. God has done great things for these people. And it's into this context that he's asking. And I want to suggest to you guys here this morning that God is not a God who ever asks in any other context. He gives first before he ever asks of us. And I want to ask you, what's your context this morning? It may be that there are some not great things going on in your life this morning. But I want to say to us that whatever our immediate context is, spiritually speaking, we're in the exact same context as these people. Because we too have been brought out of captivity and resettled in peace and security in the promised land. Because we have been saved by the Saviour's blood. We can never pay back the debt of love that is owed. So whatever your context day to day, the hope that we now have that our present troubles will one day end in this life or the next, that we have forgiveness for sins, that we have Jesus walking with us day by day and we have grace abounding for whatever situation we find ourselves in, that that is now the context of our lives as a saved and, uh, people. That is our context. And that's the context that God asks into, that he first loved us. That whatever we ever give back to God can never, ever outweigh the debt of love that we owe him. And it is that famous verse in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave God gave first before he ever asks from us. And that's our context. So the first bit of wrong thinking that I kind of want to demolish is that sometimes we have this view of God that God wants, God takes. But here's what right thinking says. God has given. God has given everything. I can never pay him back. That's the first thing that we need to change in our mindsets. And that's the context to which God was asking them into. He's going, I've already done this miracle. That's the context that I'm coming and asking you, asking of you. And that's the context where God asks of them and says the temple's in ruins. Uh, And the temple, I want to suggest for us this morning, is an image of the church of its day. The place of worship and sacrifice. And I know that uh, in the Old Testament in, in Jerusalem that it was also the representation of the covenant and how God met with his people. But um, I want to suggest that that's how it speaks to us this morning. And that the people weren't that bothered that it had fallen into ruin. Um, And they'd forgotten who it was that had brought them back. And they'd also forgotten the power of a functioning temple and what it is when this thing is working well and the power of that in their lives. And I want to say that that might speak to us this morning, that we forget the saviour who saved us. And we're not always fully inspired by church and what it can be when it functions and does what it's supposed to do. But that's the first bit. And um, we go on. Why is it that they'd forgotten and why had they gone a bit astray? And it goes into verse 2 and it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So what it is, is these people have come back and they'd convinced themselves that this isn't what God had wanted. That God didn't want them to build church. He didn't want them to build a synagogue. That that wasn't his intention. 
Uh, and, it, and it turns out that it was wrong because God then comes in and says through the prophet, he says, no, hang on a minute, you're wrong about this one. This is exactly what I want to happen. I want this thing rebuilt. So why was it that they'd got themselves into that place? Uh, and I think there's a couple of things you can pick up from that. And the first is this. I don't think they were humble enough to listen but maybe it's actually, I don't think they were humble enough to actually ask God what he wanted. And I don't know, I don't know what the lessons would be for us. But, you know, sometimes we can get ourselves into a position where like, we're convinced what we think God wants. But I actually think that commitment and the start of commitment is not to say what God wants. The start of all commitment is to ask God what he wants. And that might be the start of your journey this morning. What I want to do is build up a mindset and a thing for you this morning. And, and I'm going to repeat it. So the first bit of mindset that we built up is that God is someone who gave first, not someone who wants. And the second part, the start of all commitment, is to ask God what he wants, not assume that you know what he wants. But here's a more deeper and fundamental reason why I think they didn't really ask God what he wanted. And, and again, it may speak to you this morning. And I think that they were afraid of asking God what he wanted because they were afraid of what he might say back. And I think that might be the same for us, that actually we might go to God and go, God, what is it that you want from my life? What is it that you want from me? And actually, we dare not ask that question because we think it might impinge on our time, the way we live our life, our finances and who we are. Um, I remember when um, I got into a bit of a heated debate with um, another Christian. I wanted to be noted then and go, so-called so Christian, but that's wrong. You can't say things like that. But I remember a heated debate around the things of God and... I was going back and forth and I was quoting the scriptures and you know when you, you get to that point. And they ultimately got to the point and they went, well, Simon, if that's who God is, that's not the kind of God that I can believe in. And I just thought about it after it's something that stayed with me over the years that, that for that person, you know, whether I was right or wrong around the scripture, but for that person... What they wanted from God was someone that fit into their boundaries, fit into who they thought God should be. Because if God had been who maybe I said it had been, God was, through what we were talking about, it might have actually impacted their lives. It might have had some consequences. But I wonder for us if sometimes, certainly, we live a life that somehow says that, well, God, if that's who you are, that's not the kind of God I can get on board with. That somehow maybe that that is the root, again, of, of, uh, uh, of challenging our commitment and, and why we um, believe what we believe. That we want God to be like we want him to be, to fit into our boundaries, to fit into our routines, to fit into our finances and our ways of living. So we project our views onto God and pretend that they're God's views in order to protect ourselves. And that's really a heart condition that I want to speak into this morning. And here's the point of verse 2. We either can be too proud to ask God what he wants, or we don't ask God, seek God, and truly know God because we're afraid of the consequences. So commitment is this. Commitment, commitment for Haggai. Commitment is this. It's to ask God what he wants, and it's not to be afraid of his response. And I want to actually encourage you this morning, because I'm not going to, you know, I, 
I want to encourage you about what it's like to actually ask God what he wants and to go on that journey. Because I'm, I'm going to encourage you that actually it's an amazing journey to go on. It's an amazing question to ask of God. But here is the other point. God often does ask of you. He will ask of you in your life. He will ask for your time. He will ask for your finances. He will ask something of your gifts. He will ask of you. And it's him that answers back to them. He actually overrides the fact that, and this is how God works sometimes, by the way. If we don't ask, he sometimes tells us, just like he does in this passage. And he goes to them through the prophet and he says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while my house remains a ruin? He is asking us that his house be built by us. And I don't believe that this is just a specific passage and a thing. I think this is an ask of God that echoes through the generations, that every generation that lives, God is asking us to build his house and to build his work. So he is going to ask of us. But I want to encourage you. And I want to challenge you in your uncomfortability around the cost of it. Because it's really hard to outgive our God. It really is. And I want you to take that first step back and remember the context into which God is asking. God never ever takes before first giving. And by the way, if God asks, in one sense, that should be enough. Because of all that he's ever done for us, if God asked then that should be simply enough. But I want you to understand and grasp how the generosity and love of our God this morning, because God doesn't say, well, I just gave and therefore please build my house. He just adds blessing in after blessing after blessing when we give back to him. And I want to give you three reasons this morning not to worry about God asking from you and what you give to God. And here's the second bit of wrong thinking that I want to kind of uh, challenge this morning. That when God asks, he wants absolutely everything. And that God is some kind of miserable God that wants to take all that you've got. He wants all the fun in your life. He wants all the money that you've got. He wants all the time that you've got. And he wants to leave you miserable and destitute because that's who God is. Well, let me tell you, that is nothing like our God. God does not want to take all of your joy, all of your fun, all of your finances and all of those things. Who do we think God is sometimes? That is some kind of grasping, penniless God that just needs to take all that we have. Well, you need to look carefully at what he's saying to the Israelites in this passage. He's not going, hey guys, you've got nothing but while you've got nothing, I want you to you know, not look after your families and I want you to build my house. He's saying, stop building panelled houses. So it's a bit hard to get our heads round. But what he's saying is that they've got their basics sorted out. They've, they've been brought back from captivity. They've now established their homes again. And they'd got to the point where their homes were established and they'd started doing the fancy bits. They'd started adding extensions and the panels. Some people think it's to do with the roofs and it's a style of house. And they'd, they'd started to attend to the luxuries of life. And what God was saying was that, you know, your basics are sorted out. But while your basics are now sorted out, my temple still lies in ruins. And I think all he's saying to us is that I actually think the positive message is God is saying, I do care that you're okay. 
I care that your basics are okay. I care the fact that you have a house that you can provide for your children. I don't want to take from you those things. All he's saying is that before you then get on to those finer things in life, those luxuries, those extra things, would you give attention to my house? Would you give attention to my home? And it even kind of suggests that, you know, at some point you can get back to that other stuff. He's, he's even saying, I, I don't mind you having good things in life, but there's a time and there's a place for it. You know, what a generous God that he's saying, I care that you have the basics. I care that you're taken care of. But once you're taken care of, would you look to my house before you then get back to those other things? And I think it's an amazing message that God cares about our needs and he doesn't want to take us or leave us in trouble or destitute or without. I'd also encourage you at this point that, you know, sometimes with our giving of our time and with our finances that we have this wait until kind of mentality. You know, I am going to give to God one day, don't worry guys, but I'm going to wait until I've got everything sorted out. And I think God, what God was speaking into this thing as well is that he wants us to stop waiting with some of our commitments. Stop waiting until everything is perfect, until, you know, maybe your kids are 18 and have left home and, you know, then you'll serve God. And, you know, maybe you're waiting until, you know, you've got all of your finances sorted out and your pension saved up and you've paid off the last penny of your mortgage and then you'll, you know, God's saying, you know, I do care about the basics, but don't wait either. Don't wait until everything's sorted out and everything's in order. You need to start committing and giving of your time and your life and your, and, and your resources to God now. So here again, I want to go through it. The, the first bit of right thinking that we're building up is that God never asks before he first gives. And our context is of a saved people, saved from captivity. How can we ever outgive our God? The second bit of right thinking that we're now building up is that God is not a grasping or mean God. God cares about your needs being provided for, but he just wants you to take attention of his house. But then I want to paint even more of, of a, the joy of our giving and commitment to God. And here's the, the third thing. Oh, I don't know. My numbers are out of control. It could be the third point. could be sub point five. But his house is built. That is the joy that is before us. God's not saying, I just want your money or your time and your life for the sake of it. God's saying, look at what we can build together. Look at the joy of what we can do with those things. And I think the third bit of wrong thinking that we have is that, you know, that God is a grasping God that wants to take and that then God is going to kind of abscond with our finances and our time. He's just going to go off. What? Again, my thinking is, who do we think God is? That God is like Bernie Madoff, that he wants to take all of our money and then go live the high, high life and, and we're all living destitute and, and thinking, where is God? You know, is it the wolf of Wall Street? No. Who do we think God is? In fact, God doesn't even need our money for money's sake. If you look in Haggai 2, he says, I've got all the gold and all the silver. God's got it all already. It's not about the money. It's about building church and the joy of doing it. And I want to read out a quote by Bill Hybels, whatever you think of him. But it's about the joy of the house of God and local church. And he says this, I have a little mantra, 
There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. When the Holy Spirit is in charge and when God's anointing power is on a church, lost people are getting saved, saved people are getting discipled, lonely people are getting enfolded, bored people are finding a purpose and a cause and the poor are being cared for. To me, when all that's happening, prompted and empowered by the Spirit as opposed to being fueled by human power, that is the most beautiful activity I've ever witnessed. And it's this that excites me. Church functioning as it should be. God was saying to these guys, look, build this temple with me. And when I'm at the heart of your nation, there will be nothing more exciting, nothing more blessed than when this thing is working as it should be. And when this thing is functioning as it should be. And I want to say to you that this morning, the same message applies to us. That what God wants from us, the time and the resources and, our, and what we give, that it's exciting that when we build this thing with God, that church functioning as it should, God saying, come and worship me in this house. Spend time with me, the creator of the world, living water, bread of life. How exciting is that? Reading his word, being built up together, finding more lost people and adding to our family. There's nothing more exciting in the world than church functioning as it should do and being the hope that it should be. And you may say this morning, well, Simon, when Sunbridge gets that good, then I'll give. And I want to say to you, I know that we're not always all we should be. And I know that certain things are not the only thing holding us back. But let's remove every barrier to becoming what we could be in Jesus Christ. Let's make sure it's not because we're not giving enough. Let's make sure it's not because we're not giving of our time and our gifts and our strength. Because when this thing is functioning as it should be, this thing, this will be a city on a hill in Bradford, shining out as an amazing testament to the life and power of our God. Church should excite us. God's not asking us to give to something that's not exciting. I want to re remind you that church, when it's all that it should be, is one of the most exciting things in this world. And that's why we want to give to it. That's the joy set before us. I want you to think about some stories. Think about the people that have been changed through this church. And then tell me that it's not a good thing. Think of the lives that have been transformed. And I tell you what, if I spend my life building this house, or whatever local church we're at. Maybe my personal house might be slightly less fine than it could be, although, praise God, I'm blessed. Then I'll tell you this, I'll have lived a life well spent. Because when the house of God is built and functioning, I'm telling you that is something special. That is something to get excited about. So this is what God's asking us to give in to. He's not asking us to give in to something that we you know, is just lifeless and, and he's asking you to give into one of the most exciting things that you can ever engage your life with. And I want you to think there's loads of people out there that don't have this stuff. They don't have that purpose. They don't have that sense of destiny. They don't have a saviour. And he's asking you to give into the very best thing. I'm telling you, if you want to invest your money, if you want the best return on anything that you've ever got, invest in this thing. 
Invest in the house of God. It will give you the best financial return in, in the best dividends. I don't understand the stock market, but I'm telling you this outperforms absolutely everything. How passionate are you about church with that big C? So again, I want us to build up our wrong thinking. Our wrong thinking says this, what's God ever done for me? He wants everything and he wants to leave me unhappy with nothing. He wants to take it for no reason. Right thinking says this, God first loved me, he saved me. He wants me to be okay and he's generous towards me. And he wants me to help him build something amazing called local church. And I want to add in this next bit of joy. He also doesn't want me to just give. He wants me to be blessed even more because of all of this stuff. Because here's the next thing. God's not saying, not only did I save you and bless you, but I want you to be involved with one of the most exciting things that is going on in this generation called church and the temple. But actually, you're, by not giving, by not getting involved, you're blocking yourselves from one of the most glorious adventures with God. And that by not giving, they weren't releasing blessing into their own lives. Now look, this is the, probably the most controversial part of the scripture. But I do want to be fairly bold on this point. I know that this scripture has been used by lots of churches to go... You know, the reason you're poor and unwell, I'll try and do it with an American accent so I sound like one of the televangelists, is because you're not giving. That's why it's all bad. Oh, I'm going all Texas. Anyway, keep woke you up, it's fine. And I know that this scripture, in some senses, has been used wrongly. I don't agree with slot machine prosperity teaching. Bless you if you do. But I don't believe that if I put in 10 to God that I somehow get a hundred back. I don't, I, it, it just doesn't resonate with me. I don't agree that if you this morning are struggling financially, that it is because you've not been generous to God or that if you're sick, it's because you're not giving. I just, I, I can't, it's not that. Or if your business is failing, it's because you've not honored God. I don't, believe also that you're just going to keep getting richer and richer and never somehow slip back but I also do believe everything that God says in that passage and I do hold it in tension and that's what I believe I don't believe that it was just for that time and that God was withholding blessing because the temple wasn't built but that was just for them I do believe that there is a spiritual principle for us that God is saying that as we give, as we're generous, he always blesses back. Proverbs 11 verse 25 says this, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And you know, that speaks of both finances and time. You know, one of the versions says, He who helps others will himself be helped. You know, there is something about a life lived with generosity that God can't help pour back generosity on that. And it may not be finances. It may not be perfect health. It may not be the perfect life. But I believe that our God is a generous God, that as we give to him, we can never outgive our God, that a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
you know, Malachi 3 verse 10 again, and it's often used, but bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there'll not be enough room to store it. And here's a non-financial version, Matthew 19, verse 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. People, I don't know exactly how it all works. And like I say, I don't believe that, you know, the way that some of those scriptures have been used has been unhelpful. But I still hold it in tension and say this, that as we're generous to God, if you give a centimetre of your life, God somehow gives a mile of his life back to you. That as you give just the smallest part of your finances and say, God, have this because I love you and I care for you. That God doesn't somehow give back to you and bless you and be with you. That a generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. And that's what God was saying to these guys in this passage, that by holding back, they were not being as blessed as he wanted them to be, that God didn't just want them to subsist, he wanted them to prosper. And that God wants you to prosper in him, whatever that looks like, that God has got a blessing. And this is the glorious adventure that we go on, that God is saying, I've already given to you, I gave my son And that's the context when I I ask. But when I do ask, I ask that you give to the most glorious and exciting thing that any man could ever get involved with, which is my plan for this world, which is local church and what I'm doing to transform this world. And not only that, he says, but when you do give, when you do get involved, when you do give your finances and your time and your gifts and your resources, I'll bless you back because I'm a God of blessing. So it goes on, and this is where now the rubber hits the road for us. Verse 5, so this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. So that's what I say to you, what do you think about all this? What does it mean for you this morning? And I want to take you back to make sure that you hear God's voice. Don't be a people that as you consider and go, well, what are you saying to me this morning, God? What's your challenge to me? That you don't say to God, well, I think this is what you're saying to me, God. But you do go before him with an open heart and say, what do you want, God? That you remember that the start of all commitment is to say, what do you want, God? And to have a heart that is unafraid of what he might say back. So when was the last time you thought and considered that you sat down with your finances and thought about what you really were doing with them? The last time you sat down and looked at your diary and thought about the space that you had for other people and for church? The last time that you sat down and considered what you need and what you don't really need? What is God asking? Well, it isn't just finances. It's time. It's the priority. It's wholehearted Sunday worship that builds his house and that honours him. He wants your worship. It's time of prayer. It's thought. It's intention. It's small group. It's dedicating your life to community and supporting one another. It wants you to be a people of encouragement to one another. He wants you to serve one another. He wants you to care for one another. If you've got a leadership gift, He wants you to lead. 
And if you've got finances, he wants you to give. Give careful thought. Be a people of thought on this matter. Consider your ways. But here's the final encouragement we find in chapter 1. We're so used to reading, by the way, of the Israelites when God comes along and he sends a prophet and he says, if you don't do this, then something bad will happen. And it's really rare for the Israelites to actually do anything about it. But you know what the real blessing of Haggai is? They actually went and did it. It's one of the rare occasions in scripture where they actually go and listen to what God is saying. And this is my exhortation to you guys this morning. Do not let this be just a preach for for you guys this morning. Let's be a people of action. Commitment is not thought. Commitment is doing. James 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Let's not be hearers of the word. But like the people in Haggai's time, let's be doers. They went out and they rebuilt the temple and they followed what God was saying and they were blessed because of it. So this is what I want want to encourage you with this morning, with your thinking. It's this, that our God is not a taker who's mean-spirited, that wants to take all that you have and leave you destitute and joyless and without time for your family and without any blessing. He's not someone who takes for no reason. Our God is a loving God who first loved you, who gave his one and only son to redeem you and bring you in to eternal life. He's a God that asks you to give because he wants you to build one of the most exciting things that can ever be built, which is a a place of worship and honouring to him and a place of healing and blessing to other people. One of the most exciting adventures that you could ever go on compared to the purposeless people that are out in that world. And he invites you into a relationship of blessing that as you rise up and bless him again, he says, I will bless you back. And that is the joy set before us. So consider this morning what you're doing. And I do want to finish, like I said at the beginning, I want you to think about all the ways that you're involved in church through time, commitment and resources and some of the things uh, I read out. But I do want you also to consider what you are doing financially, particularly after Andrew's talk last week. We've got an amazing vision here at Sunbridge. A church that is worshipping him, that is reaching our community, that is caring for one another's needs. This place is an amazing house. People being pastored, cared for, fed, looked after. Small groups that happen across our city. This city is blessed because we are here. And why? Well, it's because we're a place that honours God. And it's because we care about individuals. But if you heard Andrew's talk last week, we are in a time of need. You know, we have a particular need on our general fund. And the fact is, right now, we're struggling to do what we need to do as a church. That we have a deficit of about £1,000 every month on what regularly comes in to be able to do the work of his house. But I'd actually say the need is higher because I don't want to just do what we're doing. I want to have a vision and go, what could we do if we were truly blessed? 
What could we do to build his house? And as we blessed, how would we be blessed back? So I want to ask you to think particularly around your finances this morning. And just do what I've asked this morning. Would you do it first? And I'm not going to ask you to do it live, but would you do that first thing? Would you ask God what he wants and not tell him what you want? And would you be unafraid of what God might say back? And I pray that you have lost your fear this morning of what God might say about your finances. Because he may say, this is what I'd like you to do. But I want you to know that what you do give will build the house of the Lord and will be a huge blessing. But it will also bless you back. So would you do uh, one of three things? We've got um, out in the hallway the giving forms. And I want to ask you, depending on who you are this morning, if you're not giving at all to the house of the Lord, the church, I want to encourage you that it might be time to start doing that. And I want to ask you that would you consider what God might be asking you to give? If you're already giving, would you consider if it's time for you to maybe increase on what you're doing? That maybe you're held back because you're giving what you think is the right amount to give, but God's saying that was just a guideline. I want you to think about what you really could give. And would you also consider how you give? You know, one of the things that Andrew talked about last week was the fact that when we get regular monthly income that we can gift aid, it's far more reliable to be able to build this ministry and it's far more effective than actually what we put sometimes in cash donations. Would you consider that maybe it's time to turn your giving into a regular monthly gift? And I'd ask you to think about that and to be a people that we've read about that don't just hear, but they went and did. And my prayer, that whatever God is asking you and whatever commitment you think God is asking you to give this morning, that over this year, we would mirror the people in that scripture, that we too would build the temple, that we would build the bits where it's, fall, where it's falling down, the bits where it's not working as it should, and that over this year, we build this house, figuratively speaking, and that it becomes even more so than it is already, a house of worship, a place where God is glorified, a place where people are built up, helped and saved. And that as we do that, we too are blessed. So I'm just going to pray uh, to finish this off this morning uh, and then hand back over to the worship team. Father God, I want to thank you that you are a generous God to us, Lord God, that um, we say it so often, Lord God, you want us to be cheerful givers. But Lord, I thank you for what you ask of us, Lord God, that you, um, yeah, that you first gave to us, Lord and you're so generous towards us, Lord God. And I just pray that our hearts would be touched to just give the smallest bit that we can back to our Saviour, Lord, that we would be a people who would want to give, not because we're under any compulsion, but because it comes from a heart of loving you so much, loving what you're doing, and knowing that it's a place of blessing when we're in the centre of your will. Lord, I pray. Amen.